Welcome to Seek and Find with Dr. Mark Rivera, the podcast where we explore matters of faith, life, and meaning. In this thought-provoking episode, we'll delve into Jesus and politics. We will discuss the power of Jesus's teachings rooted in love, justice, compassion, the kingdom of God, beyond traditional politics. Together, we'll explore contemporary issues, reflect on the relevance of Jesus's message, and consider how it shapes our pursuit of justice in a complex world. So get ready for an enlightening journey as we unpack the tension between Jesus and politics with your host, none other than <laughs> Dr. Mark Rivera. Thank you so much for that introduction. I feel like I have something important that I have to say. <laughs> make sure that I conjugate my verbs and make sure that I speak correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. good to be here. Really good to be here. Yes, I really yes, mean yes. That. I yeah. really mean that. What a subject you've, uh, we've, we've come up here, you know, we, we are confronting today on this episode. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely a relevant topic, yes. uh, particularly... Uh, you know, obviously we're uh, New Yorkers, we're Americans, <laughs> yes, yes. so this is definitely a, a very uh, relevant topic, particularly for this country, particularly in the current political climate that, we, that we're in, Absolutely. The, the evangelical uh, uh, demographic um, is a big part of our politics in this country, right. and, um, and we're here to discuss uh, a little bit deeper obviously from a biblical point of view, from your theological point of view, with your background and experience and obviously your personal experiences as, you know, a yes. New Yorker, Puerto Rican, all that stuff. Right, right. Um, so tell us, Dr. Mark, what is Jesus's politics? What party is he part of? <laughs> wow. You want us to dive in like that? That's like coming that, in hot. That's, that's like diving off the high board into an uh, Olympic swimming pool. I mean, that, that's so dramatic. And, uh, I think what we need to do is probably maybe put, an intro or something. <laughs> uh, well, no, I, I mean, I think we should definitely approach that question. Not at the beginning, though. I mean, right. I think we need to slow down and and there's so much to talk about and so, so much to lay a, a, a foundation to lay with regard to, sure, yeah. you know, the political environment, the political environment that we're living in now. Uh, and is there room in theology or in, in the relationship with the Lord in the gospel, for example, uh, for some political influence or not. And that's really how we should approach this initially. And, I, and for sure, as we develop the conversation today in this episode, we'll come to see the political or apolitical temperament of Jesus when it comes to the, the time when he was on earth, um, but also the influence that he's left us, all the legacy that he's left us through the church. Uh, because it always seems that they're... they're antithetical to each other, Jesus, mm. politics, politics, Jesus, the, the two sides of the, two, two polarized sides. Mm. And I think the dialogue in the public square has taken it there. But if we sit back, like, you know, like I always say, just study the arguments, look at both sides before we make conclusions and before we land anywhere, um, that's always very helpful, even in this subject. Um, I, I think... Um, one of the things that I want, what I always want to do on these episodes is to be able to start from a platform of scripture. Yeah. And then that becomes the launching pad, if you will, that catapults us into the rest of the discussion. And as I've said before in these episodes, so much of it is based on my own personal opinion where I've landed. I, you know, I, I got that. Uh, I've been seeing a flurry of activity from responses from our listeners on some of the things that I say that I don't think are controversial, but apparently they are. Mm. And I'm not um, in for the controversy, but I also don't shy away from it because I know when you define yourself 
Mm-hmm. When you uh, state your opinion, that's going to cause an uncomfortableness in people. But by the way, you know, being uncomfortable doesn't stifle our growth. In fact, I think it it, it strengthens our growth. Yeah, and you're still having those conversations too. I've noticed that that you know you'll get comments on your Facebook page, and then you don't shy away, and and also you don't also argue or like it isn't something where there's like tension but you're it's an ongoing discussion these topics that that we talk about yeah which i, I appreciate from you yeah, no that's, that's true yeah I, and i don't i try not to argue especially on social media no one wins on social media and nothing is clarified on social media so <laughs> i i rather a phone conversation or something like that but you know and also i want to validate the uh, opposing views on whatever mm-hmm. we are whatever episode like on this one that we're at Everyone has to have, a, you know, a view. And, uh, you know, it's not that I'm expecting everybody to join my bandwagon. Right. Let's go forward. No, right. let's just be more comprehensive and be genuine with ourselves. Yeah. Uh, it's particularly those leaders that are listening to me, those that are, you know, that, that speak from a pulpit every single Sunday, pastors that are out there, you know, you, you, you want to be able to understand what the discourse is and then where you come off and where you, you know, how, how you take off. So based on what I just said a few moments ago, that we yeah. need to have two, I think two verses, there are many verses, but two that come up often with me, particularly when we're entering into an election cycle like we're doing now, right? There are candidates, they're, you know, throwing their hats in the, in the ring and all of that. Um, um, but one of them is... Um, Found in Matthew 22, 21, that's where Jesus says, render to Caesar mm. what belongs to Caesar, right? And God what belongs to God. And I think um, there oftentimes people would, would, would ascribe to that statement a political inclination. Mm. And, I, and I want us also always to remember that with that particular verse, when you see the name Caesar, we can assume that that isn't the name of someone, that is the title of an individual. That's like saying today, um, render to the government what the government, you know, uh, and render to government what they deserve and then render to God what is God's. That's kind of the way that statement is made. And it is not a political statement, but rather I think it is a a statement of responsibility. For example, we're living here in this country. So yeah, you have to pay your taxes. You have to be obedient to those that are in in power uh, over us, elected officials that are in, in seated in the place of authority, whether you voted for them or not, or whether you like them or not, there is a system in place that we need to, you know, at least uh, render some level of support. That doesn't mean uh, rubber stamping everything is okay, because mm. part of our, our system of government allows you also to even protest, you know, even uh, as we see with the... Um, when some controversies happens of, you know, people of color, for example, being killed or whatever, that all of a sudden there's a public outcry for that. Yeah. That's all legitimate. That's part of the process of our democracy. Right, right. And, and we need to know that. But Jesus was stating there simply that there is a, in my view, that there is a distinction between the government, mm. the emperor, the king, and the kingdom of God. Mm. So as believers, we're working and we're moving in two separate kingdoms. There is a kingdom where our feet are, is, are, is, are, both our feet are planted. And then there's one where spiritually we emerge from. And I, and I, and I want to intentionally be hierarchical here. So the one that supersedes the one where our feet are planted, the, you know, our, the grassroots side, is really the kingdom of God. Although... Um, we live in this country and live in a system of governments. We answer to a higher authority. Mm. And that higher authority, as Jesus has said there, you know, we need to render to Caesar what belongs to government, belongs to power and kings, and then render to God. There's no, there needs to be a distinct separation, but almost without a separation. Because again, I see it layered 
uh, vertically. Um, you know, uh, uh, are the kingdom of God above, speaking down, uh, defining the, the kingdom below, which is the kingdom of, of wherever we're living, wherever we're country, we're out, wherever we're, we're, we find ourselves. So from a faith perspective, we have our faith, we have our religion, that's valid. But what you're saying, there is a distinction that that is a separate uh, system from the faith kingdom that Jesus was trying to talk about. That's correct. Okay. That's correct. Exactly right. In fact, to start defining your initial question, what is Jesus politics? I, I don't believe Jesus was a supporter of a candidate. Mm. And we see that today, all you know, even on Christian television and broadcast, you know, uh, 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 segments of faith are supporting by name a candidate and a party. I don't think Jesus would do that. And he's not doing that there with Caesar. He's well, talk- he never did that actually, right? Correct. Well, <laughs> some would say maybe they even might use this verse to say, well, you see, he is supporting Caesar because they mm. think Caesar is a name of an individual or a party. No, it's the emperor, it's the king, it's the reigning monarch that was in charge during that time. Yeah. It was the highest level of authority in that time. Uh, but it was a seat. It was a position. Right, right, right. You know, not was, a person. He was supporting the position. And not a party, right? right. So today we're living in a, in a moment where, you know, it's quite frequently heard on. And I hear it, you know, almost every Sunday. Because on Sundays I, I tend to listen to preachings and watch them on TV. I, I want to learn how to preach and how not to preach. So I, I watch all sorts of <laughs> individuals. Uh, but you see it almost in every single Sunday. Uh, someone mm. on, on uh, you know, a televangelist or, or church or whatever is supporting a candidate. I don't think Jesus would do that. And now I know that's, that's right now, people right now, oh, what's his email? I'm going to write to him. That's fine. I don't mind the pushback. I just don't see it. Mm. I just don't see that Jesus would do that. And, and as we listen carefully to the other things I will explain here, we will see that being the case. For example, the other I said it was two verses, so that verse is one of the ones that I think is the most, the the one that's brought up most often in my dialogues and conversations with people. And the second one is Paul's advice to Timothy in the pastorals, which is First Timothy chapter two, verses one and two, when the Lord is speaking there clearly. In fact, I want to read it right out of the text so that I don't misread and misquote. Uh, scripture and it's Second Timothy. I'm sorry, First Timothy. First Timothy two verses one and two. Right. It says, and this is Paul speaking now to Timothy. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Look now, listen to two, hmm. for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peacefully and trust and and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And he's kind of having like a Jewish informed background of shalom, you know, mm. living in peace where you're, where you're settled. Mm. You know, that's kind of Old Testament kind of phrasing of that language there, which, which Paul used to do sometimes intentionally. But here it's misread. If you listen to this carefully, and I don't think there's anything hidden here. I think it's pretty obvious, but oftentimes we read it quickly and we make assumptions that aren't there. Like, for example, and I'm, and I'm, I'm speaking directly to those that are promoting candidates, for example. Mm. They say, well, the Bible says that we need to pray over those that are in authority. Absolutely. Mm. A candidate is not an over authority. Yeah. A candidate is not sitting in the office yet. No, they're not. Yeah. So the question has <laughs> to be, so what are you saying, uh, Mark Rivera? Are you saying don't pray for candidates? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah, says to te- pray specifically for kings. I mean, look at the text. Is, I, I'm not reading into this. That's why I wanted to read it specifically. It says, for kings and all those in authority, in authority, not all those seeking authority. Right, right. And and we hear it often. I mean, I heard already this past Sunday and every week I hear somebody or some national evangelical figure 
is all of a sudden calling for a Sunday of prayer for so-and-so person that's running for office. Mm. Uh, I mean, we need to pray for both sides or all sides, whoever is running. That's a, that's a different prayer, but not pray that that person prevail. I don't think that's the way the Lord would handle it. Mm. You know, I know yeah. that's controversial. I can almost hear... I can almost see the steam on the other on the other side of this I, microphone. With I'm some surprised, of our... but I'm surprised it would be controversial because, like to your point, it does seem to be very clear. It doesn't seem like there's a shade of gray there with that verse Correct. in First Timothy, because, like you said, it's if you're not in the position of authority, clearly that verse does not apply to you. And you're right, candidates are seeking a position of authority. They're not in that position yet. Correct. Or they left the position yeah. of authority. They're no longer in that position. Yeah. So, now, And on I, the same point, just real quick, sorry sure, to interrupt. Sure. No, no. On the same point, if the person that you didn't vote for acquires that position of power, it sounds like the Bible is, is telling you still pray for that person because they're in power. Yeah. So even though that's not your party, that's not the person you picked, but if they won pray for them. That's, right? a, that's an excellent point. Okay. Absolutely excellent point. Because oftentimes we say, well, I didn't vote for him. Mm. Well, I didn't vote for her. No, no, no. I think it's compelling us as Christians. Right. I, I always say every good Christian votes, those that can mm. vote. But also then we have to pray. And how do you pray? Oh, let him, you know, uh, move him out or whatever he's or her. No, no, no. We need to pray for their 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 peace of mind, for their health. We need to pray for their protection. We need to pray that God give them wisdom, that God surround them with the right kind of people that would uh, help them to make decisions because their decisions affect hundreds of thousands or millions of people and certainly the condition of the world. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. Yeah, we don't pray for candidates so that they could win. But if they win, even if they're not our candidate, we are compelled by that text, the way I read it, to pray for that individual. Yeah. And and that creates some controversy for some people. And and, and I, I agree with you, Matt, Matthew. I don't think that's that obscure. It's not a hidden meaning there. Mm-hmm. I think Paul is being pretty specific uh, there. And I do pray for people that are sitting in office, even if I don't agree with them. You know, right now, we, we and we and we go by these... Um, Topics. If if it's what they're promoting is not in line with scripture, mm. then I need to not pray for them. No, no. On the contrary, you know, they might be pro this and pro the other thing, and it's contrary to what we understand as scripture. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, we still have to pray that somehow, some way, the Holy Spirit would visit those places of power and illuminate the individual so that they can they can decide what you have mentioned in the introduction justly compassionately over the masses of people. Yeah. It is not the time to pray against them, but rather yeah. pray. And by the way, I've done that. I've prayed for people that I did not vote for. Mm-hmm. And I still pray for people that, are, that I did not vote for. And they're for. still capable of of fulfilling God's will because if you are a Christian and you are trying to approach politics from a perspective of faith, you should also believe that God is greater and more powerful than the candidate that ends up getting into that position. I, and I think of, real quick, I think of... Um, even Old Testament stories of the people of Israel interacting with kings and and different people in positions of power who were not godly men, but still God moved their hearts from time to time, right? To do something in favor for the people of Israel because God is bigger than that person of power who physically may seem more powerful and intimidating, has an army, whatever, whatever. But all of a sudden, the people of Israel are defeating them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like your God is still more powerful. So, you know, I, I almost feel like it's a challenge for us to exercise our faith in that way, even if it is a person we don't agree with. But doesn't that sound simple? 
to, I, to me, it does. I mean, to me too. I, mean, I hope it, our it, listeners no, do no, to too. Me, yeah, it, it, and I don't mean to offend. To me. I don't mean to offend our listeners that may not get it, but it isn't that complicated in my view. I think we need to be able, and and one thing that Jesus would do, and I, this is what I would follow, is um, it's one thing to engage the public discourse, the conversation happening. To metaphorically, to I'll mention the public square, mm-hmm. right? That's the way we understand from the past and from wherever we come from. So the, the public discourse in the public square, it's a whole different thing to embrace partisan politics. Mm. That's different. But to embrace the conversation, to embrace the dialogue, is some people, and I've heard clergy people say this often, that you know at least we get invited to the table. But being invited to the table of whoever it might be, it is not for a photo op. Mm. It is not to be broad brushed into some agenda. It is really to speak as the voice of justice, as the prophetic voice, which we hear oftentimes thrown out, um, you know, uh, bantered about. Yeah. And, th- and that means that you speak truth to power, truth as you understand it. Yeah. But oftentimes we go more for the, and I'm not, you know, taking a dig out on anyone, but it's the reality. You see the pictures. Like what comes out of there, he, a meeting with so many numbers of whatever pastors or whatever, religious leaders, but then nothing is done to push back on the agenda. Because that's the other thing that we need to do. We, In order for us to engage the public discourse, we need to be able to speak truth. Right. We need to arrive at truth. We cannot co-opt that regardless of who's sitting in, in the party. Yeah, which is what Jesus did too. If you look at his yeah. his life in the Bible, Correct. I'm sorry, it's just as, as you're talking about it, I'm just constantly seeing this image of Jesus's interaction with the Pharisees who, if you really think about it, they were the ones with the political power in that region where Jesus was teaching, um, probably more powerful than even Pontius Pilate right? or That's King true. Herod. It's Let's true. be honest. They were, they were the mechanisms behind the political forces in that mm-hmm. region of the world, but he wasn't part of them. He wasn't taking photo ops with them. Not that there were pictures back then, right. but you know, I, I'm just, as you're talking about it, I'm, I'm just imagining that, that he's still engaged with them. Yes. But he always came from a point of view of, of truth. Like you said, yeah. being engaged doesn't mean that you got to get married. <laughs> right? So yeah, you engage right. the discourse, you mm. engage the so conversation. So you agree that that's okay to get involved I th- in politics, I, I think be that's, part of the conversation? Yes, I, I think that's what the community of faith needs to do. And I think they need a moral compass. I'm talking about the, the people in political power. Right. But you can't, uh, what is it, hook, line, and sinker, go with a particular party on every area of their platform. Mm. One of the, if any, uh, those listening to me, sociologically speaking right now, Latinos tend to not really affiliate with a party, mm. Latino, Hispanic people. We, we go by policy. Mm. We go by, you know, if you're not taking care of the, the elderly, that means you're not taking care of my grandma and my grandpa and we're going to vote for you because that's an important thing for us or we're not going to vote for you if that's not part of your agenda. Mm. You know, education is another one that's big. Housing is another one that's big. So Latinos don't tend to just, you know, uh, check off the list of the of, of partisan politics because both sides are crazy <laughs> and both sides have wisdom too. Mm. So you have to go by what I, what I do is I go by policy. Mm. I don't go, it doesn't matter, you know, what party, and by the way, I'm registered to a party and I don't say that to anybody because I'm not, I don't want to influence anybody. You just vote. Voting is important. Mm. I think that's what we should do. And I think that's what God would want us to do. 
But we can't just go and and affiliate to a particular party because or a political persuasion because my mom did, my grandmother and all of that stuff or because that's what we've always done all my life. Look at what the the policy is. If there's Mm -hmm. a policy that is uh, that is wrong with regard to education and biblical or let me give you a biblical example. After the power of the Holy Spirit, they have Pentecost, right? We just celebrated that. Yeah. And, and Christianity throughout the world. One of the issues that comes up in the, the book of Acts is the distribution of, of food to the widows. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned that. Yep. Yeah, that, that isn't political partisan. That's policy mm. that there was discrimination taking place. This is in the Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one, one of the events there, they ended up calling the Jerusalem Council to try and so- resolve this thing on how they were going to speak to the powers yeah. in order to resolve the issue. So we need to go by, by policy, policy decisions that are made. It isn't just that we need to close the border, for example, that's the push of one political party. But how do we match that mm. with the mandate of we need to honor the Imago Dei, the image of God and people? Yeah. How, how do how do you balance that as a believer? Yeah. Oh no, but but they're ruining our country. I mean, we're doing a pretty good job of ruining. I read an, an article this week that started saying, "Wait a minute, we pay so much in taxes. How is it that you know some people pay forty percent in taxes, thirty percent, whatever? So much in taxes. How is it that they're running the country into bankruptcy? <laughs> it's like they, you know, like how how and it's not one year. It's every. I'm going to be seventy years old, mm. and every election cycle. I hear about deficit. I never hear about anything surplus. Anything. Yeah. How are these? And these people, they 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 studied in the best schools. They're yeah. all lawyers. They get, they most get of these them. Experts. They're all, yeah, yeah. And they have the access to incredible mm-hmm. intelligentsia, as they say. Yep. Yep. And every every election cycle, they drive the 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 the, the economy. The, how do you do that? We're always broke. <laughs> We're always broke. <laughs> it, it can't be that way. Yeah. My my point is saying that we need to move forward. And look at policy. And by the way, that's very grassroots. The policy, my policy agenda here in New York City is different than what it would be in California or in Florida or in another another country. Mm. So you have to then become versed in the the uh, the pulse yeah. of the public square, wherever you're, you, you what are. What the need is, what, what the community needs. Absolutely. What people need. yeah. yeah. And that's not political. I believe that's social justice. Yeah. That's different. I mean, if they're closing schools down in your particular district. You need to engage that policy and go with the person that will be supportive of your agenda. Because we see that's the other thing. We let elected officials drive the agenda. The agenda should be coming from the public, mm-hmm. from the citizenry. And we're the ones that that do the priority, but oftentimes we just let it go. And, you know, but Jesus uh, went after policy. The church, the early church and from the day of Pentecost, they went after policy. So we need to engage the public discourse without embracing uh, uh, public politics. We need to stick with policy and not with a political party. Can I... Can I challenge you a bit on the policy thing? No, well, <laughs> to I'm be clear. <laughs> no, go ahead. Yeah, you might, I might scare you with no, this No, no, no. This First, this I'll say I, I 100% personally agree with you. Okay. But I want to I just play the other side for a second. Okay. And challenge the policy thing because both of the dominant parties that we have in this country, Republican and Democrats, can sometimes exploit this idea of policy like there are certain political policies that it's like you if you're a Christian, you have to, you know, these parties will or certain parties might say 
you have to vote this way because this party always takes this stand on this particular policy. A big one back, you know, when when Obama was president was the gay marriage thing, right? Uh, he he was the first president to finally legalize gay marriage, and the Christian world went crazy. Um, now, for me personally, I have the perspective that if you don't agree with gay marriage, you don't have to get gay married. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's the same reason why there are certain things that are legal in certain states that biblically might be sinful, but it doesn't mean you have to participate in that activity. It just means that the government policy is that policy. So from that perspective of, hey, this particular party always stands behind this specific policy, like how do we navigate that if we take that approach that you're saying of let's focus more on policy because then one of people end up always voting kind of one dimensionally and not looking at other things because they're fixated on one and two policies. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you, you just really opened the door there at the last part of the comment that people are focused on one particular issue, which is important, which is anti-biblical, for example. If you, if you look at, you mentioned, uh, or, or I'll mention abortion, for example. Mm -hmm. But then how, this is where, where I have a problem here, is how do you, you say you are against abortion and not pro-life? Mm. Or how can you as a believer say that you are against abortion, but it's okay to have capital punishment? Mm. I, I mean, I can't reconcile those two opposing forces here. There needs to be something. And 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 I've heard this said, you have heard it said as well, and, and those listening to, uh, uh, to us right now on this podcast, you know, right? If you don't vote this party, then we have to question whether you're going to go to heaven. Yeah. You, yeah. You're going to judge my entrance into heaven on politics mm. when the Lord doesn't even do that? Right. I mean, the guy on the cross, he wasn't asked, well, what party are you from? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, right? you, did you render to Caesar, by the way? Right. Okay, yeah. you could go to heaven. Yeah. And, I, and I don't mean to be flippant on it, but right, I think right. I do want to be flippant on it. Let, let, let's look at it very in a, in a balanced approach. And we find, uh, sadly, we find good people, really good people, that they're locked in on one particular, uh, and by the way, the, the political world, the political environment, are they're masters in showing us that they are for this particular thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then we, we end up falling prey to that. And it almost seems to me, and this is a horrible you know, thought, but it, it comes to my mind all the time. We're trying to build a nation into a church. <laughs> When we can't even build a church into a church, <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good I mean, point. if you think about the the, the, the if you, you want to look at our political environment, and I'm speaking, I've been pastoring for for 40, 45 years, mm. right? So I've seen those currents moving in there. We just need to get back. What does the Bible say? What does the truth of the Word of God teach? Now, definitely, the I, I believe there's enough evidence, and I am against abortion. Mm. But then, what? Let's go there. How do you minister as a pastor for me? Maybe theologians have a different thing because I also think pastors have a heavier burden. How do you minister to a family that is living with the guilt of having had an abortion years ago? How do I pastorally deal with that? Yeah. You know, so tough. we're going to castigate the person, mm. label them forever. So we need to be careful with the way we say, even in the gay uh, point, uh, is, uh, are they far from reaching God's grace, mm -hmm. even though we don't understand? Mm. No, the answer is no. Are they far from the redemption? Mm. You know, so we need to be careful and be careful of who we listen to when they start telling us, well, you know, you, you, I, I heard a, a preacher on TV just maybe three weeks ago 
and he's preaching a, one, a, a, a pretty good sermon. And again, I, I seriously, I this is one of the good sermons you were listening to. I was to? just going to say, <laughs> I'm serious. I listen to Sunday preachers to see how I can improve my preaching, but also how I would never preach. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and he, he was going fairly well. And all of a sudden he says, cause you know what you need to do in the next election cycle. Mm. Like, you know who you need to vote for. Mm. Okay. You know, if you really have Jesus in your heart, you know, and like, my, my goodness, talk about an insult to the gospel. Mm. It also feels like manipulation too. Well, like you're kind yeah, of manipulating uh, your uh, your abso- believers. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And how, I mean, are you serious? And and I listened to the rest of it because I wanted to see what else was going to be said from there. But we receive those words and we let them. We actually act upon them when we don't sit back and say, "Lord, let me pray this through. Let me see." So the, what you mentioned, yeah, it's a very thorny issue. Yeah. Because, for example, you you know there there are topics that are real real powerful. But what if the guy that's anti-abortion is also the guy that wants to stop people from being treated humanely because they want to come into this country to find freedom? Mm. Now, isn't the gospel of Jesus Christ for the for the widow? We're supposed to take care of the widow. We're supposed to take care of the orphan. We're supposed to take care of the disenfranchised. Yeah, we're the supposed Bible to is very clear on that. I mean, very clear. Right. I, yeah. I agree with you there, man. Yeah. I really do. It's very clear. There's no ambiguity here. There's no wiggle room in that that concept. Yeah. But the candidate now is anti-abortion, right? Yeah. Or, or rather, anti-abortion. So what do I do? I'm going to vote for him even though he has other... Po- That's why policy is important. Okay. And we say, yeah, but we want a political candidate that checks off all the boxes. Listen, we don't even have family members that check off all the boxes. <laughs> right. <laughs> Isn't it true? It's true. We, yeah, you, you, yeah. Don't have a, you don't have a marriage that checks off all the yeah, boxes. Be, even you and your life is true. The voter sometimes themselves are, are a mess. <laughs> we, we, we are covered with this deception of this utopian experience mm. or experiment, which is democracy and forms of government. Mm. These utopian ex, uh, experiments that... When you look back for a moment, the only kingdom that really, really has got it all together is the kingdom of God. If we understand it more, you know, more thoroughly and comprehensively and live by the rules of that kingdom, which tells us to honor those in authority, to pray for those that are in authority, to render to season. The kingdom of God tells us that. The kingdom of God, yeah. So we have it all reversed. You know, I mean, I mean I, I'm trying not to get too emotional here because, you know, they may think that I'm being irrational. I'm not being irrational. I've thought this through a long time and I've engaged the yeah. public discourse. Yeah. For decades, for yeah. decades. Yeah, yeah. And it's something you're passionate about too. I definitely know that about you. And at the end of the day, religion and politics in general can be sensitive topics for Anybody relationships have have ended and 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 just on those two yeah, topics. Wars alone. have been started. Wars religion started, and yeah, politics, exactly. you know, Political differences. So, kingdom of God. We've mentioned this a few times. Can we can we get into that a little bit more? Help us understand what what Jesus was talking about when it comes to the kingdom of God. Yeah, I, I fall on, and I think we we dealt with this on the one of the pa- podcasts in the past about the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I I go back to Acts chapter one the not yet resurrected Jesus, when the Lord Jesus Christ was now for 40 days teaching his disciples, not yet re- not yet ascended, resurrected, but not yet ascended. He's teaching them, the text says. That's Luke, uh, Luke's writing in, uh, in the book of Acts. And it says there that Jesus was teaching them about the kingdom of God. Yeah. And they were thinking about politics, Matt. Because if the you disciples? Read, absolutely. Because mm-hmm. if you look a, f- a little bit further down, the political question comes up. 
when they say, well, who's going to rule? You know, when are you going to establish the kingdom for Israel? Yeah. So he's talking about the kingdom of God, and now they're talking about a, a, an earthly kingdom. Mm. So they, they were being political. And these were the guys that were followers of the Lord. Yeah, these yeah. are the guys that we built, that. Yeah. That we built, built our theology on, because they're the ones that went on to become the apostles, the bishops, and the, yeah. the, fourth, you know, the, the, founders, the founding right? fathers, yeah. of, of, right? Yeah. And went out and, and did incredible things. Yet they were being political. But mm. Jesus told them very clearly, that's none of your business, basically. Mm. Mm. That's me, you know. <laughs> that's that's the the Dr. Mark Rivera translation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It will never be published. But yeah, because he's, he's telling them, you know, there's a, the time and season is only reserved for the Father, not, not for anyone else, mm. right? I believe his teaching there on the kingdom of God is what I've, and what I practice even in my life. Mm. It's the rule and dominion of Christ in your heart. Yeah. The way I look at it as an image is, I construct a little throne in my heart, right? Mm -hmm. And the only one that can sit there is Jesus. Mm. This whole thing about what would Jesus do and all that, it all emerges for me from that visual that I have and that we should all have. So Jesus had taught them. He had, they had seen the miracles. They had sat with him. They had listened to him do the Sermon on the Mount. They all, and now he's about to ascend and he's teaching them about the kingdom. And that's different you, you can have the gospel on the outside of you, but the gospel has to be on the inside of you. Mm. And that's how you get started. So the kingdom of God. So now we go further. So what does that kingdom of God teach? How Where's the intersection of Jesus' teachings uh, with regard? And he wasn't addressing politics. He's addressing the kingdom of God. Yeah, It impacts politics, mm. but he was not talking politically. And, you know, he, he taught us. He taught us the importance of loving our neighbor. He taught us the importance of compassion. You know, having this level of empathy for somebody else. He taught taught us about justice and injustice. Yeah. Right. He taught taught us about uh, protocol when he turned over the tables of the merchants, right, in the temple, and what was going on there—the deceiving power, the prideful power, the greed. Yeah. So he taught us about that. He taught us about the importance of the image of God. He and, and the Imago Dei, what we talk about. How can you? Um, simply write off a human being because they're not like you. How can, how can you, whether it is that they look different than you outside because of the color of their skin or the decisions that they've made in life mm. don't line up to what you, how can you write them off? And I'm speaking specifically, like for example, the, the gay community. Yes, you, you might not be the parent that prays, I hope my son and my daughter ends up marrying a good you know, girl or boy of the same sex, right? We mm -hmm. Parents don't pray that. But when you're confronted with the reality of a choice your child has made, you don't discard that child. I don't think God wants you to discard that child. Mm. You're not going to be able to convince them of anything because they're adults. They made a decision. But I believe we have to love them because God would love them. Yeah. And I mean, embrace, embrace their, embrace them, their humanness. And oftentimes we, we don't, you know, like when we think about migrants, we call them illegal aliens. Even that phrase, that reminds me of E.T. Yeah, the movie it, e. dehuman, it dehumanizes them. And to your point, all humans are made in the image of God is what you're saying. Any action, Matt, that devalues a human person mm. is sinful before the Lord. Mm. Any action or word, and that word... Regardless of their lifestyle choice or regardless, yeah, where they come from. Regardless. Yeah. that When you devalue a human being, you're actually devaluing the image of God in that individual. I want my Christian brothers and sisters to listen to what I just said. Mm. When you devalue a person, you're devaluing the image of God in them. If they're a migrant, they're not an illegal anything. 
They are part of the family of mankind. Mm. If they decide to have a different lifestyle choice than you would have, you can't devalue that. Yeah. You know, you can't even destine and judge them, destine them for hell. No, you, that, you have to question your own relationship because you're offending God because the image of God is in that individual. And Jesus taught us that, the, 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 the family of humanity. We have to be our brother's keeper. We have to you know, take care of the least of these. Those are all teachings that the Lord, he went to talk to the Samaritan woman. That was crazy during that time. That yeah, was can, can, you, can you just explain that real quick, just for people who don't understand the significance of why we're saying Samaritan woman? Well, the Samaritan woman, she was obviously a woman of sin, obviously a woman that was a social outcast, obviously a woman that made decisions based on, you know, the selling of her, of her flesh and all of that going on. When you talk about sin upon sin upon sin, that's the Samaritan woman. Yeah. And she was actually getting something to drink when there was nobody around in an hour when no one's there. Secretly, right? Secretly, because yeah. she didn't want people to, you know, Ambast her yeah. and curse her out and talk about her and laugh at her. And Jesus goes out there and he interacts with her. Jesus, a rabbi, mm. which even today rabbis can't, you know, have a conversation of any kind with a, with a woman that's not their wife mm. or their mom or their sister. Mm. Right. Yeah. And here Jesus. So are we willing to do that? Yeah. That's what Jesus taught us. And, yeah. and we're living in a time when we get locked up in our ivory towers of sanctuaries that we think these buildings <laughs> that are beautiful, fantastic. Our I, I love that. safety bubbles, yeah. While, while right outside our doors, nothing is being done to take care of the, what Jesus would do, take care of the least of these. And then we allow people in politics to go into office that lambast, that embarrass, that uh, scapegoat other human beings. And then we applaud that. And then we raise our hands and praise the Lord on Sunday at 11 o'clock. There's a, there's an inconsistency mm. there. And I believe Jesus pushed, pushed against that. We see it in his life, you know? So, so to be clear, the kingdom of God, it's not just for a certain demographic of people, I should say. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, uh, Cause I'm, I'm also trying to think of the context of the Bible. We're, we're trying to bring this up from a, a biblical perspective. Right. You know, in old Testament, it's very clear. You have God's children, right? people of Israel. That's a very specific group of people. Mm -hmm. And also in the New Testament, correct me if I'm wrong, that first century church, there was also this controversy of, uh, do we reach the Gentiles too? Like yes. the people else. So That's even right. that, so clearly the Bible, especially from a Christian point of view, is explicitly trying to say the kingdom of God is available to all human beings. There is it this criteria of nationality, race, um, you know, political views, it's made available to everybody. The The kingdom of God is supposed to allow access. There's hope for everyone to have access to the kingdom of God, right? I think there's a, this, you're absolutely right. Absolutely. That's what the gospel does. It, it takes off all the barriers and limitations and allows everyone to come in. For God so loved the world, right? Yeah. But I believe also you have to look at not only the psychology of individuals, but the psychology of a groups of people. I don't understand this paralyzing fear that some Christian groups have, mm. that they feel that they, if, if this happens, is all of a sudden going to threaten them. I read recently an article as well, and part of one of my faults, and one of, one of the blessings and one of my faults is a, <laughs> is a dichotomy, um, that there's this growing fear now among churches that if the wrong party is elected, they're going to end up closing up churches. <laughs> like... Interesting. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's more likely that the ocean's level of water will rise and, and bury Florida and all of New York City 
than something like that I don't happening. Know, there's some Christians that don't believe that. But though. the thing, no, but right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it's a true, whole other thing. <laughs> but we allow things like that to drive us, mm-hmm. and then that becomes the reason why I can't, you know, support that person or pray for them. Yeah, it's and, and I'm, it's not so much there. I'm not talking policy. I'm talking about this fear that we possess that if we allow people that are not like me into the worship service is going to ruin what we're doing right now. You know, it's going to stop us from really, because they, they have this view of the kingdom, uh, the heaven as being something that's that's uh, uh, monolithic. It's only somebody of the, we, they actually believe that we're going to be speaking English up there and it's always going, <laughs> I mean, come on. It says every every tribe and tongue. Every tribe. Oh my goodness. Yeah, every tongue. Some people are going to be so shocked. They're going to get there, but they're going to be, they're going to spend the first part of eternity getting over their shock. <laughs> that's what, you know, honestly, that's what's kind of confusing me with it this is. topic too, because I feel like there's so many clear things in the Bible right. that go against um, this idea of looking at politics so one-dimensionally, you know, like you said, for example, only sticking with like one party, for example. Right. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's so, the Bible seems so obvious with this type of stuff. It, I, <laughs> I, loving I everyone, like that's very clear. Love everyone. And God, I be, God I came believe, to save the world, like you said, everyone. And, and I think that's yeah. what we would want individually. Wouldn't you want people to, you know, love on you, be considerate of you, be fair with you. Aren't those the, the values that move us as a human being? Putting aside our faith. Yeah. That's what we want, to be treated fairly, to be treated equally. With right? respect are, and all that's that. That's natural, in, in inherent things that are uh, uh, wired already inside human of us. Human rights, that's what we call it. Right? Yeah, even human, human rights. rights. Why, why do we want to then castigate a group of people because of decisions they made. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is the push cannot be to make a country, any country follow a particular faith or, or, or faith tradition. Yeah. If, you know, we, we, if, and I always get, I get a kick out of this one, you know, you people from other ethnic groups serve to protect our country. We just celebrated Memorial Day, right? Yeah. And yet, because of the color of their skin or the country of their origin, we kind of like make them less than, Mm. You know, and, and it, or it can't be that way. It really can't be that way. Maybe I'm being too idealistic, but I want to stay with scripture. And that is that, you know, we have to treat people fairly. We have to be able to move forward and take care of those people that are disenfranchised, disconnected. Uh, and the church needs to play a role in being a prophetic voice, not a political voice, the prophetic voice for those that can't speak for themselves. And, you know, for me, I don't think it's rocket scientist stuff. I think it's it's enough that everybody should be able to to latch on to this. So kind kind of sh- shifting gears slightly, can we can we discuss the tension between the separation of church and state? What 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 are your thoughts on that because obviously there is at least from a bureaucratic point of view there is supposed to be this separation. Um, can we explore that a little bit? It, it's a big tension because we also have freedom of, of religion in this country, right? And mm-hmm. and yet, you know, why do does that phrase, separation of church and state, only point at the church? The thing that's interesting, too, that I've discovered is that none of that separation of church and state is in any, is not in the Constitution, is not in any legal document uh, that frame our democracy. Our government, yeah. Yeah, those are all conversations that came out really from the populace, from the citizenry. And for in, from interest groups, and then it's targeting the separation. I, I believe that um, that we need to look at, at the um, separation of church and state in a very academic way, but also biblical way. The, back to my premise, the church needs to influence policy. Mm. In yeah. my opinion, that is that keeps it separate. The church cannot be advocating for a particular party. In my view, now it's being done all my life. 
I've saw I've seen and been taught. Again, I've been pastoring for a long time. You can't make political statements from a, a pulpit, right? The government at one time would actually come in and investigate, or you would put in question your tax exempt status as a religious organization. Now we're at a place where it's almost like a free for all. I mean, I'm slightly exaggerating there, but you can name a candidate, name a party, and tell people you need to vote. Otherwise, you're not going to get into heaven, and you wow. can get away with that. Yeah. I think there needs to be a wise line that's not smudged for convenience. And sometimes it is smudged for convenience, depending upon where you fall on a particular platform, political platform. But I believe that it's healthy to have this balance between government and the church, because we're talking about a separate kingdom as well. So this tension is a tension, and tension is, is actually good, the word tension. What isn't good is, the, in my opinion, is the, the thing of a state. Maybe it should be tension between faith and state or religion and state, mm. that tension, because tension is good. Tension makes us grow. It also makes us look, look with introspectively at, us, at ourselves. So, I mean, that's a quick response to that whole concept. No, that's of good separate, Yeah. I'm, I'm old fashioned when it comes to that. I think there <laughs> needs to be a marked, a, a demarcation between government and, uh, but you know, what's interesting because it's hypocritical too. It's hypocritical because, you know, I just last month I was invited by a, a, an elected official to go and do the opening prayer of the legislative session. Mm. Make up your mind. <laughs> are, we, are we involved in government or not? <laughs> so they want, and then they ask you to pray, and then they, you have to submit a written prayer. Mm. So you can't pray in the name of Jesus. You can't pray in the name of Allah. You can't name, you know, you can't, there's certain things you cannot do because they don't want to offend, but they want to open up with a, with a word of prayer. Well, because evangelicals vote, they're trying to appeal to that. <laughs> I mean, I'm, let's be honest. I, 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 I mean, agree. I hate to, to say it that I way, agree. but I think people need to understand that politics, particularly campaigning, it's marketing. It's marketing. The same way we have these algorithms on, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, all these social media platforms that try to figure out what it is that we want to consume digitally and, and curate content to keep you on that platform. That the I mean, political campaigns have, have existed for hundreds of years now. Right. You know, so it's like it's it's really and it's funny because I you know you know as you know I have a, a digital marketing background. We even call it campaigns when we're sure. de developing a strategy Absolutely. to acquire new audiences and get more people to you know buy a product or whatever it is. We call it campaigns. So it's no coincidence that like you said they're trying to incorporate more and I say they as in I'm talking I'm referring to politics uh -huh. they try to incorporate um you know religion slightly <laughs> at least try to be adjacent to it because at the end of the day the evangelical vote particularly in this country is huge yeah it's huge they, they follow polls what is the what is the public saying what is the public's opinion right you know, and also you we can't you know we have to call it what it is uh, the campaign cycles are a huge money-making industry. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Huge. I mean, when now you, you need to, to, to run for national office, you need hundreds of millions of dollars mm -hmm. and they raise the money every four years. I know. I mean, uh, you, you're, you're, I, 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 I'm like <laughs> caught here because I am excited. Um, yeah. I almost want to stay in what we were just talking about, which is just the whole thing about campaigns and the richness yeah. of that and the, the treasury in the sense of money that mm. is in there and how that can be an enticement, not just for the campaign, but then even moving forward. Even people that lose, they really don't lose. But anyway, let, let me leave that alone because <laughs> right? I'll, I'll stay on that point for another hour. And you're right. This is an inexhaustive topic when you com try to combine both. And, and even when you look at similarities between religion, if you will, and also politics, there's some there's some 
there's some intersections there where both cross. But I'd like to move over, uh, and I'm forcing myself right now, really, I really <laughs> want to go back, but I'm forcing myself to move over to more of an application. So what yeah. happens? Mm-hmm. You know, I know we haven't exhausted the topic, either one of these, um, but what do we do? What, what can the church do? What can the evangelical world do, the Christian world do, uh, a world uh, do or apply? And I think we, we need to take a serious, serious look at what's called the prophetic voice. Mm. Uh, that sounds like a, a term that is a, 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 a catchphrase. But what I mean by that, how do we speak uh, to places of power? How do we confront those powers? How do we affect policy changes in those powers with the goal, with the goal of not being elected, but rather with the goal of meeting the needs of people? Because that's really right. the biblical example that we've been following throughout this episode. You know, people are made with God has created us in his image and likeness. We have a responsibility, and I would even go further. We have a mandate to take care of the least of these, Mm. right? And I think government plays a role in that. We were clear, and I think I was clear, I believe in the separation of religion and politics when it comes to election cycles and all of that thing. I'm not comfortable with the mishmash mess that we have right now where you can make all of these comments, but the church cannot lose its prophetic edge. Mm. We see that in scripture over and over Old Testament. I mean, even going into the New Testament, there comes a point in the history of the church and in the movement of religion that religion has this innate ability to be able to speak to powers. Mm. We see that. History. We, that's what Martin Luther King did. Yeah. That's what uh, Man- Mandela did down in South Africa. You, you have this moral energy or fuel inside of you that will confront the powers. And although it's a David and Goliath kind of scenario, I think if we look at history more closely, and again, we don't have the time now to go to all the instances, but if you look at history uh, over and over, we see uh, uh, faith, we see God conquering even the powers of the kingdoms that we have here here on earth. So the, the prophetic edge, that prophetic edge is is to frame a platform. This is the way I look at it. Frame a platform that is not driven by partisan politics. Mm. Each one of the parties and however many parties we have, we, we always say that we have a two-party system. That's not even <laughs> part of uh, the democracy that we have. It just yeah. became convenient to have two-party systems, yeah, but yeah. it can be whatever number if we're truly talking about this democratic experiment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think we cannot let the, the, the public square uh, set up the agenda for us. Mm-hmm. You know, we, and particularly pastors, when, we, when you're, you're serving and ministering in a parish, you should have your, 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 your finger on the pulse of the community, and yeah. every community is different, and that should drive. I, there's a saying that goes, and I've repeated this several times already, um, that all politics is, is, uh, uh, is local. And, and I believe all, minist- all ministry is parochial. What that, I mean by that, it's really driven by what is going on in your context. Right now here in Manhattan, for example, we're living on the island of Manhattan. I minister in the island of Manhattan and live in the island of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. There's such a disparity of wealth here. Mm-hmm. There's such a disparity of power here. Yeah. Talk about political power. There's such a disparity uh, happening here. Uh, uh, what does the gospel say there? So I, I feel the weight of having to call out what what I view based on my experience is the agenda items. Mm. You know, there's a lot of talk about things that are really, they don't relate to what I do here. Yeah. But we allow in a, in a campaign cycle and even after that to have people uh, uh, develop a platform from us for us that these are the agenda items, and in reality, 
it needs to be the other way around. And I think the church and people of faith have acquiesced that influence that we have. It is true that even corporate world and certainly the political world does not know how to handle a religious leader that can move a congregation toward a specific policy issue. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to handle that. And the, the clergy person needs to make sure that they're operating with the right motives. It is not to uh, 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 gain wealth or influence or popularity or become famous or become a celebrity pastor. Mm, right. But rather it is one that is there to serve the people. That's what we need to do. And then you base an agenda uh, around there, around that. And then that becomes then um, the prophetic voice that you, you don't get off topic on that. Now, let me just back up a little because I know I said a mouthful there and I know I said a lot without really explaining the details, but a prophetic voice and then establishing agenda uh, for uh, for the public square has to be informed by a healthy worldview. And a worldview is simply how what is your vision of the world that you're living in, kind of like a very simplistic kind of a definition. And oftentimes we don't even have a workable, if you're, I'm an evangelical, mm-hmm. so I, I operate from a workable, workable and achievable uh, worldview. And one of the elements of my worldview is that God is in control of everything. He created everything. He's, we answer to him. Another part of my worldview is that uh, uh, we have the image of God inside of us. Right. The other part of my worldview is that we have to be able to treat everyone. I've already stated this in this episode, mm-hmm. but I'm just telling you where my worldview comes from. And I believe all solutions for mankind really come out of an experience of faith and from the faith community, leveraging the influence to make the powers then yield to to the needs of justice and yeah. the needs of compassion and the needs to be, reach people. And those needs also existed before those people were in power and they're going to exist probably afterwards sure. too. So it makes sense why the approach should be, what are the needs for my immediate community, the nation, if you're voting at that level and focus on that because that's because the government, like you said, isn't necessarily the answer to those problems, but it, it does have influence probably just as much as the church has influence on those things because the church you uh, and i'm thinking of even you with your church the way your church stepped up during 9-11 the way your church stepped up during sandy right you know you you know we were probably doing more here in the church than our local politicians were absolutely so politics i think that's also important to keep in mind that politics is only one part of what can help bring solutions that align with your worldview. I think we have to be careful in a lot in which hand feeds us. Mm. And so if you operate from a place of integrity and of not trying to get anything for your, for, for yourself, but rather for the people, right. then uh, the political parties will come and, and ask you to come and participate with them trying to come up with a solution yeah. or at least not coming up against them. Which I'm sure you've experienced too Absolutely, over the years. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the danger there is that we have to be careful with power. That's, the mm. influence can also be toxic for a mm. leader. So you need to make sure you have your motive in the right place, that it is for the, for the helping of people. Mm-hmm. And and there I want to also qualify because we, we have a problem with a back to worldview. You know, I believe in helping the least of these. The question that I should be asking, uh, what church do you go to before I help you? Mm-hmm. You know, or if I help you, will you come to my church? That's the wrong question mm-hmm. to ask. I don't yeah. think that's what we should be doing. If they have the image of God, regardless of faith or no faith. Yeah. There is a mandate that I feel the burden on my shoulders to help people, period. Yeah. Oh, but then we're going to give resources and they're never going to show up in church. That 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 is not the qu- in question here. Yeah, yeah, you know. And oftentimes we do that kind of divisive thing 
that I think weakens or even neutralizes the the prophetic voice. Yeah. So we need to advocate for whomever. I think everyone in this country, you know, has civil rights, has rights that they have to be protected, regardless of their choices of lifestyle. Mm. I mean, how can it be if if the person votes, if the person serves in the military, if the person how can we say no, but because you are, you have a different sexual orientation, mm. this country should not help you with whatever you need medical care for, for whatever. How can we do that? When mm. people make that a religious issue, for me, it is not a religious issue. For me, it is that we need to help individuals, yeah. period. It's a human issue. Yeah. It's a human issue. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when I, when, when I, if I'm, God forbid, if I'm taken into an emergency room for some care, I'm not going to ask the emergency room doctor, uh, are you gay or not gay? <laughs> no, just right. take care of me. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Fix me. <laughs> and so if it's good that way, then mm. we, it must be good in the, in the service delivery, if you will, of communities. And that comes from a healthy worldview. And there's some, some in fact, before we close out, if, if I can have a few minutes, I just want to suggest some books to the people that they can read. Yeah. This is not the exclusive list, but it's something that can at least spark some interest in reading further into that. Yeah, so yeah. audience, you know, get ready to write down some of this information that we'll give in a few moments. But that, you know, that that's kind of a, the way that we can apply it. And also we, we need to practice what we're preaching. Mm. We need to live. There can be duplicity. You know, you can't, you can't be back to celebrity. You can't be a celebrity person. How are you as a leader affecting change every single Sunday in the hearts of people that are listening to you, either there in person or now watching you online? You know, are you allowing yourself, placing yourself in the, in the hands of God so that you can be that vehicle of hope, of restoration, of forgiveness? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes we, you know, and not everyone, I'm, I'm, this is a broad brush that I'm using right now. But it isn't for the accolades and applause and the kudos of people. Mm. You know, you, you keep in mind that it's that 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 single mom raising children. What your message was just so eloquently prepared. I do this all the time, right? <laughs> I prepare, I prepare because I believe in the high levels of preparation. I have a ridiculous bar for myself that I, I apply every single week before I preach. But at the end of the day, my preaching always responds to what does all of this mean? I mean, I mean, I say it on mm. Sunday. But in my in my comments, what does this mean to that single mom that's there trying to raise three kids by herself and she has to work two jobs? Mm. If it's not saying anything to her or not instilling hope or not a casting light in the moments of darkness that she's having or others, uh, a, a senior citizen that their kids don't even you know call them anymore and they feel abandoned mm. and they see their body withering away. What does what I do on Sunday, does it speak to that? Or a family member that just passed away, and or or even something as you know, people that don't have. I don't have a dog, and I'm not. I'm not anti animals. I mean, I, I love them, but we just can't where we live here in Manhattan. But you know, someone lost loses a pet. Mm. We, we can't belittle that. That person is grieving, almost like it's like that's a human being. Mm. And so, what does the sermon say to that person? And then on a broader say uh, stage. What does the sermon say to the congregation? Is it is it empowering an army to go forth with the gospel and the goodness of the gospel? Or is it just making people feel good? Mm. My takeaways I'm hearing, again, is establish your worldview. Stick to your worldview. Don't waver from that. Have integrity with your worldview because those right. are the things that will not only influence um, your politics and how you interact and engage with politics, but it sounds like that's also some, it, it has a larger impact on your overall life. Absolutely. Like this is something that applies more than just to politics. Absolutely. And even the comments that we made earlier, that I made earlier about, the, you know, I can't understand why people are so fearful that they're going to close down churches, so fearful yeah. that the boogeyman <laughs> monster is going to come in. You know, I, 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 back again, I lean on scripture. 
I don't have to build a church. The Lord said he will build a church. So I don't go through these, uh, you know, uh, multiplication, church multiplication things. Mm. You know, how can I get more people seated in the, the seats that we have? No, I just have to be faithful to God in the pulpit, deal with integrity, make sure it applies to me as well, whatever I'm teaching, and the Lord will build his church. And the other thing with the defense, the Bible says clearly I mean, it says clearly to me that the gates of hell will not prevail. Mm. So why should I be filled with fear that they're going to come and shut down the church and close down? That's what I said earlier. I don't <laughs> yeah. want, you notice I yeah, want to go yeah, back to I the know, top. But let's not, not go there. Let's not go As you're saying it, I'm thinking of questions too to keep no, no, it going. No, 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 no. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts? Yeah, because we're, 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 we're pretty, we try to keep these around an hour, maybe less. But yeah. so I know you, listeners, if you guys are sticking with us, thank you for listening. And, and we also appreciate your feedback on all this stuff too. But before we conclude, any other final thoughts or yeah? And, and in fairness to you, Matthew, we go over an hour. It's all me. It's not you. I know you, you, you signal me. It's time. It's time. It's time. We have to wrap up. No, what right. I'd like to do in closing um, is just suggest to our audience some. Re- I believe in reading and researching. So um, uh, some reading, and and there's some books that, and some of them are old books, but the the subject is still alive today. Mm. You know, there's a book written by Robert Linthicum. Uh, city of God, city of Satan. And he makes this comparison, uh, which kind of alludes to captivity theology, which is the other book that I mentioned in one of the previous mm-hmm. podcasts from uh, Bishop Ray Rivera. Yeah. Uh, but City of God, City of Satan by Robert Lithicum. Excellent book. The other one is, again, Ray Rivera's book is, is fantastic. Liberty to the Captives, Our Call to Ministry in a Captive World. Mm. This whole concept of captivity theology. The power of the gospel is so powerful that not only does it save people, but it also redeems systems. Mm. Systems aren't inherently bad. Mm. Systems are what the human being puts into it. So, you know, with the same metal, you can build a syringe or a a device to help somebody walk, or you can build bullets. The metal is the same. So uh, how do we redeem systems? How does the educational system get redeemed? I believe it's through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through his ambassadors standing firm in those places of power. There's a recent book that came out that I, I really like. I'm actually reading. I read it quickly, but I'm reading it again because it was so good. And that just came out by Adam uh, Gustine and, and uh, Jose Humphreys, The Ecosystems of Jubilee, which is a reflection of the rhythms of God's justice. And then it's a call for the church or believers to engage those rhythms. And the return of engaging those rhythms is, is wholeness and it's restoration. So it sets and it's it's. Uh, uh, you know, launching off the concept of Jubilee in the Jewish tradition. So it's Ecosystems of Jubilee by Justine and by Jose Humphreys. There's another one that's an old book I read it years ago, and I still use it as a reference, by uh, Charles Colson and Nancy Percy, How Now Shall We Live? If you want to build your worldview, this is a good book to read on establishing your worldview. This helped me to frame my worldview. Mm. You know, there's four major, maybe we'll talk about that in some other session because there's some four major components that I use when I'm judging this thing about church and state and government and politics and church and all of that. So Charles Colson, Nancy Piercy, How Now Shall We Live? And also Nancy Piercy wrote another book, which was transformational. And I want to give a quick story on this one. See, I'm, I'm already taking more time than what I should. <laughs> no, no, you're good. But um, um, every time I meet my professor friends, this, I've done this all my life, all my life. Um, I always tell them, you know, what are the books that I should be reading? Mm. Uh, in the comedy, we have coffee and all we have laugh and all these stories. And then at the end, before we leave, I'll always ask the question, you know, what, what's the latest book? So this mm. is one of them that happened when I was in conversation, having coffee with uh, 
Dr. Sa- uh, Sam Sullivan. And he, he tells me right off the top, he says, you got to read Total Truth. Mm. And that's Nancy, again, Nancy Piercy's uh, 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 a book. Piercy is P-E-A-R-S-E-Y. And it's Total Truth. It's a big volume, but very helpful, very helpful in, in the, the liberating uh, Christians and to confront uh, the culture of captivity. Mm. Really excellent. There's another book by Jim Wallace, people listening to me and anyone involved in urban ministry and, and certainly um, progressive urban ministry will know the name Jim Wallace, God's Politics. That's the title of the book, God's go. Politics. It's right That's on point Right there. on target, <laughs> right on there. And then, of course, I can't get far from you know people that have just shaped me mm-hmm. academically, and one of them is my dear friend, Dr. Elding Villafañe, who wrote this book, um, a small book, but powerful, Seek the Peace of the City. And he breaks down this whole concept of shalom from a Jewish perspective, mm-hmm. and then he gives us a framework to work with and how to build around that. So seek the Peace of the City by Dr. Eldin Villafaña. And there's many, many more, but I'll leave it at that because we're, you know, we're running out of time already and uh, <laughs> I'm getting the winks already, so I need to stop. No, 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 no you're good. I'm not you're really good. This I'm, is, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's your podcast. Oh, we can go another you. hour. <laughs> no, no, no. No, but no. those are great book suggestions. Um, we'll include them in the description for the episode too to make it a little bit easier for people to uh, get that list in case they uh, they miss the spelling of a name or something like that. Yeah, we'll we'll have that list for you guys, for the listeners there. Um, any other final thoughts before we officially conclude? I like concluding with a word of gratitude. I mm. mean, I really appreciate the listeners um, that that tune in. Yeah, you know, we we're getting feedback and um, and we appreciate that. And I'm not looking for the pat on the back. I, I want to make sure that what we're doing is helpful. Mm-hmm. And and I'm not shying away from creating even a bit of controversy because we can grow from a controversial situation. We don't do this to be controversial, but some of the topics do extend themselves. So th- thank you listeners for, you know, listening in. We appreciate you and it's a joy for us to be able to 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 do what we do during this time. you enjoyed this latest episode of Seek and Find with Dr. Mark Rivera. Thank you for listening and God bless.